proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to name every board game with a farming theme. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about games with unique themes. First, I share my thoughts on the musical chairs board game, and Ambi tells us about a book and music album. Then, we chat about games with themes that are outside the box, or rarely seen. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi and Crystal. I have played board games recently, but I also got some review copies, kind of, of a book and a song album. They're digital, so it's not like... I don't know what that's called. It's still a review copy, I guess. But yeah. Um, yeah, so I got a review copy of Winning Streak, which is a book about board games, and also a board game song album by The Meeples, M-E-A-P-L-E-S. So I'll talk about both of them now. So Winning Streak is a book by John Michael Garieppi. It's going to be on Kickstarter soon, I think. I'm not sure if it's out yet. It's sometime in May. <laughs> it's... it's the plan for Kickstarter, but it's uh, Winning Streak Tales and Trivia of the 40 Most Popular Board Games. So it goes through the top 40 board games by Ranker.com as of October 2015, because I guess that's when he started writing it. Whoa, um, <laughs> that's a long yeah. time ago now. Yeah. <laughs> so like some of the board games, it goes into more detail on like the, about the board game, but some of them it goes over like not about the board game at all. Um, like for clue which is on there um it goes over the movie which had some interesting stuff so there there are a couple of tidbits i learned but like most of it like i already knew and was familiar with the board games so i wasn't really sure what the audience was because some of there were some jokes that were kind of funny some i didn't get but like some of the the jokes were only funny if you're familiar with the game but then if you're like familiar with all these games i'm not sure why you would be reading the game about the top board games on ranker.com because, like, you already know, if, you, if you're, like, super familiar with four games, you'll already know, like, about all these games. Yeah, so it, the Winning Streak, the book felt more like a compilation of blogs, too. Because I think, I'm not sure if that's how it started, but, like, each chapter was kind of like a blog about the author's thoughts on the game or uh, something related to the game. <laughs> so uh, I, didn't, I didn't particularly enjoy reading it. Um, also, it was seemed like it was made to be digital because it had some links in there <laughs> for some stuff. And I was reading it on my Kindle, which is like an old black and white Kindle that doesn't really have internet, good internet connection. So I didn't click on any of the links, but there are links there for like some more research and stuff. So that was a winning streak. I guess if you want to read more about some like interesting stuff about some of these games... The top 40 games from 2015. Well, so when you say top 40, what what were the, like, how were the top 40 on Ranker decided? Like, what... I think it's just, like, people vote up and down. I'm not really sure. I'm not super familiar with Ranker.com. Uh, on the on their website, it says, based on Ranker's poll of almost 400,000 votes. I, I'm not, I don't know the algorithm very well. Yeah. But, yeah, so it had a lot of the classics on there and um, some of the modern board games like Pandemic, Catan. I forget all of the games that were on there. There, there were some some things I learned, and there was like an interesting stuff about the history of Stratego, and there was Monopoly in there. There was it talked about the TV show. <laughs> there was a Monopoly game show apparently, so that was something new that I learned. <laughs> but overall, I, I 
I didn't particularly enjoy the book, but there was some, some interesting stuff in there. So that's Winning Streak. And then the other thing that I recently listened to is um, an album by The Meeples. And that's M-E-A-P-L-E-S. So I think it's kind of like a play on Beatles, maybe? <laughs> so the guy who made my song intro for my top 100 games on the Dice Tower... He said that that inspired him to make a board game song album of board games, board game songs. So this is the album that he did. So that's Doug Anderson, and he calls it The Meeples. And there's 10 songs in there. They're all about board games. Some of them are about specific board games, like there's the one about Queen Domino. There's one about Colt Express, uh, Tokyo Highway. And then some are just like in general about like Dice or the friendly local game store. So the, all the songs had different styles, like some sounded kind of like the Beatles, some sounded like, oh, like the Cold Express one sounded kind of like a Western, and then there was, some was just acoustic. The Tokyo Highway one sounded like more electronica. I enjoyed it. Some some songs I liked more than others. My favorite, I think, was probably Tokyo Highway. It was upbeat, and Take Your Turn was my next favorite, I think. <laughs> but that was like a catchy rock tune stuff, and, and my kids, <laughs> when they were listening to the song, they liked they liked the beat and danced to them. So my kids like listening to music. They're uh, 19 months right now. So they, when they listen to music, they, they dance back and forth. And um, I think they liked Take Your Turn the best. <laughs> so that's like one of the songs on there. It's very upbeat. So yeah, if, if you are interested in music and board game stuff, you can check out the Meeples album. Um, I'll have a link. But I think it should be published and available to listen to and buy the digital album when this episode releases. So yeah, that was the Meeple's board game song album. <laughs> I recently got a game to the table that I was super excited about, not the least of which because it has been sitting unplayed on my shelf for the better part of this past year. Kelly North Adams, who is a board game designer, kindly sent me a copy of the game that she released in 2020 from Rio Grande Games, and it is called Musical Chairs. So Musical Chairs is a card game where you are literally simulating a game of musical chairs, the thing that you played when you were a kid, where there's a whole bunch of chairs in a circle and everybody walks around while music plays, and then when the music stops, everybody has to find a seat, and there's always one less chair than there are people, and so one person ends up without a seat and then is eliminated. In the card game, it is it had, bears some similarities to trick-taking games in that there are different suits of cards that are all associated with different colors, but there are a lot of different suits. There are eight different suits total, um, and those are indicated by both color and symbol. You're playing cards out into a line in the middle of the table, and there are specific rules regarding what types of cards you can play. It's not like a trick-taking game in that you follow suit necessarily. Um, you are trying to play cards numerically in ascending order to some degree, if you can. And then every time you play a card, you move your little meeple around the board, which has all of the chairs on it. And you can move your meeple between one and three spaces. So it's kind of like musical chairs in that you can move slowly around the circle or quickly around the circle. You get to choose. And then as the line gets uh, of cards gets larger and larger in value, eventually some of the players will not be able to play or will choose not to play. The music will stop and 
all of the players, whatever chair their meeple is on, that is the chair that they will score. They will get to claim cards from the line that match the color of the chair they ended up on. And then those cards will uh, score points based on how many trouble clefts they have on them. But if two players are on the same space, which does happen in a game of musical chairs, two people are standing in the same area, they have to have a butt battle <laughs> over the chair. And there is actually, a, it's called butt battle. Oh, that's um, what that picture was from. Yes, that's what that picture was for <laughs> that I put on Twitter. I was like, yes, I'm playing a board game that literally has something called butt battle in it. Interestingly enough, the butt battle is my least favorite part of the game mechanically, which really bummed me out because the name is great, but... Players just play cards from their hands, and whoever plays the highest card wins the butt battle, and so it's really anticlimactic in that regard. But I have to say, this game, I was like, I, I didn't quite get it from like reading the rules, but as we were playing, it genuinely felt like as we kept playing cards of higher and higher values each round, like before the music stopped, it felt like... A game of musical chairs, like that tension that starts to build as everybody's walking and like crowding up around each other. And like, you know, the music is going to stop soon, but you don't know exactly when. Like that tension, I felt it in the game. And wow. I was kind of surprised in a very like good way, obviously. This is a really interesting game. I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's relatively quick to play. You can play it with as few as two players, but I had held off playing it with two. until uh, I actually ended up playing it with four people. And I think that is probably where this game will shine best is with its full player count because of that tension of, okay, as you're moving around the circle, wanting to stay away from other people's meeples or whatever else. Um, and what's neat is when you do win a chair that is the final color that was played out to the middle of the table, you can potentially purchase a chair cushion token from that space, which will give you a special power. So things will change a little bit throughout the course of the game as players get those special powers. It's really neat. The artwork is super cute. I really enjoyed this one. It came out in 2020 and I've heard next to nothing about it. Um, it's from Rio Grande Games. Kelly North Adams is a pretty cool designer. So I would say this is one that people should look into if they like kind of lighter card games with interesting themes. And that will tie into our discussion <laughs> that we're going to have here in just a minute. But uh, yeah, musical chairs impressed me, especially with how well the theme kind of came through in the gameplay. Cool. Way, 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 way back <laughs> in 2016, we released an uh, episode three of the podcast, and it was called All Things Unique, and we talked about games with unique themes. It's been a long freaking time since we recorded that episode, <laughs> and so we're going to talk about unique themes again, because honestly, in the past five years, a whole bunch of new games have come out with really cool and unique themes. That's true. I think... A lot of the my go-to unique themes are still ones that came out before five years ago. Oh, that's of, interesting. Like, <laughs> like I I looked back at the at the podcast and it I talked about like Dungeon Pets and Lacerda games and those are still games that I think of like Euros with unique themes and also Tragedy Looper I think has a unique theme still. So, I mean, so those do have unique, those have unique themes, and that's still relevant to yeah. our conversation. For and they've sure. been like among my favorites for a while, so those are the ones that always pop up to the top of my 
list. <laughs> so when we talk about theme in a board game, we're, we're talking about the setting in which the board game mm-hmm. is set or like the, the overarching setup, the framework for which the game is being played upon. And the thing that I always complain about here on the podcast is games with boring themes, you know, things like farming and other stuff like that, that Brown. tend to pop up. Yeah, brown. Yeah, brown the theme. <laughs> brown. Tan and brown, the theme. Yeah, like <laughs> Earth Tones, the game, yeah. is like basically what I like to complain about. And I've said this before, but like for me personally, it's not just that those themes do not resonate with me, but I love to spread my love of hobby board games. I like Mm -hmm. to play games with other people. I like to tell people about games. Obviously, we like to tell people about games. We wouldn't have a podcast if that weren't the case. (laughs) But, like, it's hard for me to hype up games with boring themes sometimes. You know, like, you, I think you all have heard me say things about games like Carpe Diem, where I'm like, this is a really great game. But I can't, like... I can't get somebody excited about that unless they're already basically into Steffenfeld games. And then I can be like, you know, Steffenfeld, this is a good one. You know, like there's nothing, I can't describe it in a way that makes it sound exciting. Whereas this morning I got to play a game from designer Aaron Vanderbeek, same designer as Castell. He has a new game coming that he's going to be kickstarting here within the next few months. It's called Shablam, and it is about drag lip sync performances. <laughs> and it's fabulous. Not just the theme, but the game is spectacular. The mechanics are super mm-hmm. solid, really fun. And I can get people excited about a game about drag lip sync performances. Like, that mm-hmm. is a theme that people will instantly be, like, some people are not going to want that theme in a game. But I think a lot of people are going to go, that sounds intriguing. I want to mm-hmm. see more. Yeah. And so, and of course, Castell, Aaron's other game design, I've touted many, many times as a really interesting theme. It's literally building human pyramids in Catalonia. Like, you don't see games about things like that. I can mm-hmm. tell, I can show you a YouTube video of that, and then you can be like, wait, we can play a board game about that? And it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think that's why it's important to have unique themes, is having a lot of different themes gives us options for bringing other people into gaming. Because someone who doesn't play games won't necessarily be interested in all of the typical gaming themes and because like what they know about of gaming maybe is like Dungeons and Dragons. So the fantasy themes or like the the boring brown themes <laughs> um, <laughs> or like space or something like they think of that as games and then they don't know that all these other themes exist. And so it's great that all these other themes have existed. So like, was it last year um, I reviewed a jujitsu themed game Brazilian yeah. jujitsu and like that was super unique and it's really exciting like we were so, so excited to play it just because of the theme and we I mean we haven't talked to any or like seen any of our jujitsu friends but <laughs> but like maybe we could play with them absolutely and it's not just that a unique theme makes it easier to tell other people about a game it also for me personally it makes a game more memorable i am more mm-hmm. likely to have something stick in my head if it is unique in some way and so if the theme is unique then that is the case 
Yeah, me too. I would say a good example of that would actually be something like Belrati. So Belrati mm-hmm. is similar in mechanisms to a lot of other kind of party style games where, mm-hmm. you know, people are playing things and then one person has to choose a thing. Like, that's not uncommon. But the fact that you've got an art forger who's trying to slip paintings into, like, an art gallery, that's mm-hmm. memorable. It helps you stick in your yeah. head a little bit better. Yeah, and, like, that one, it made me look up, because it's, like, a parody of Bell... Belrati. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, like a real (laughs) art forger is what it's, like, it's a parody of it. Yeah. (laughs) So that's more memorable, too. Absolutely. Before we recorded the episode, Ambie also pointed out that there seems to be this kind of unique phenomenon that happens in board games that I think happens in other things as well, where, like, Sometimes by random chance, like multiple games will come out around the same time that have the same theme. And maybe it's a theme that we haven't seen a lot of in the past. Mm -hmm. And this happens in other forms of media as well. The the examples people always go to are like uh, movies like Armageddon and Deep Impact came out around the same time. Or Mm -hmm. there were two volcano movies, uh, one about like a volcano in L.A., I think. I don't remember what the names of those were. Dante's Peak and something else I don't remember but like (laughs) and they came they always come out around the same time and you mentioned (laughs) games about Mars all kind of hit around the same time right yeah there were a bunch that came out I think the same year like terraforming Mars on Mars on Mars might have come out a little after but it was like announced at a similar time and then um first First Martians Martians. and I don't know if there were other ones too but then now it seems like Mars is a there's too much Mars games or something too many Mars games but it's only a few, right? Right. Another <laughs> really good example. at the same time. Another good example of this, and it gives me an opportunity to shout out our sponsor, Gray Fox Games, is in 2019, two games came out about hens that lay gems. Oh, yeah. Like, so <laughs> gem hens from uh, our sponsor, Gray Fox Games, which is an awesome game. You've got chickens scratching up gems, and then you're putting them onto a Fabergé egg, and it's super great. But then from Oink Games, Fafnir also came out that same year. And it's like, how did two games about chickens laying gems come out at the same time? It's a, it's definitely, I would still consider that to be an incredibly unique theme, and I own both yeah. of those games. I like them, but like, it's so funny that they came out the same year. <laughs> yeah, and they're different, right? Oh, very different. Aside from that theme, there are no similarities between those two (laughs) games. Yeah. I will say that the games I tend to love and want to talk about the most often have unique themes. You know, Mm -hmm. I already mentioned Castell earlier. Things like Let's Make a Bus Route, which, you know, as far Mm -hmm. as flip or roll and write games go, a lot of those games don't have much theme at all. But in bus route, you're literally like you've got a bunch of players all making their own bus routes on a single board. And that's incredibly unique for any Mm -hmm. board game, let alone a roll and write game. You've got something like Beastie Bar, where you've got a whole bunch of animals standing in line outside of a nightclub trying to get in, like jostling for position in line. And there are a few games about standing in lines. Like, Mm -hmm. that's not completely unique, but the fact that it's animals trying to get into a nightclub, it sticks in my head, and it makes me want to get other people excited about it. Mm -hmm. And actually, you mentioned Fafnir, the Oink Games, and I'm thinking, like, a lot of the other Oink games also have unique themes. Like, Deep Sea Adventure is one of my favorites. It's just, you're going down and sharing oxygen. You're going down in a submarine and sharing oxygen with everyone else, trying to yeah. get treasure. Uh, that's, 
Like, that's funny. Absolutely. <laughs> and then, oh, the one that I got in the Kickstarter is Ninja Catfoot. I haven't played it yet, but you're, like, trying to sneak and get things, but, like, you can't be too fast, but you have to be fast enough to, like, get it first. But, like, if you're too fast, then you get a penalty. <laughs> you have, you, you, you strap a smartphone to your wrist to, like, do the motion detecting, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, like, that's pretty unique but like yeah they're funny funny unique themes absolutely and i would say that that is actually more common from my point of view of games coming out of japan a lot of the games coming out of japan have not weird is not the right word but unique i think is a good word for it Mm -hmm. like different things that you don't see coming out of the american or german board game markets per se and yeah part of that is just like that's because they, they're a different culture, so like we don't see that many Japanese games. But I think also in Japan they have more indie games, like self-published. And we're seeing more more people publishing or like self-publishing and stuff in Kickstarter now. So more unique games are coming out on the American side and European side too, I think. Absolutely. And I and it does seem that just recently Japanese publishers are recognizing that Americans are interested in their games and Oink especially. Mm-hmm. I mean, Oink just ran that Kickstarter yeah. for their physical games and this month they're running another Kickstarter. It has not started as of us recording. I don't know when it starts, but they're bringing some of the Oink games to the Nintendo Switch, which I am <laughs> so excited about. <laughs> like, I don't know what games they're offering and if it's going to be like multiple tiers of things. I'm whatever they offer, I'm backing all in. Like, I, I don't I don't know what it is yet, but that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and it isn't just games from like the past few years that are unique. This isn't necessarily new, but I would say that there are a lot more unique games coming out. I think publishers in the past, it felt like they kind of wanted to play it safe. And Mm -hmm. I think boring themes, and again, boring is from my point of view. I'm not saying the games are necessarily boring, but you know, those tan brown, you know, whatever themes were a safer bet. Like nobody could get, upset necessarily I mean I do I get upset about those games but like nobody's gonna be like oh that's a horrible choice for a theme it's just what it is but I think more publishers are recognizing that these unique themes not only will bring in new gamers but will get existing gamers more excited but again this is not new because you go all the way back to like the 1970s for instance and you've got something like the McDonald's game which looks like a cash grab, but it is a really fun game about <laughs> constructing a fast food order. Like, it's, that's unique. You don't get mm-hmm. that in a lot of games, and it works well, and it's really fun. Yeah. And then for, like, the more modern board games, Pret-a-Porter was released in 2010, and that's a heavier economic Euro game about fashion. So it, this was released by uh, Portal Games, Ignacy Trevishek. And I remember hearing that, like, it didn't do very well. <laughs> and so he was thinking of changing the theme. Yeah, but... they were going to retheme it to, like, what, yeah. video game programming it's or something? To video games or something, yeah. yeah. But luckily they, they kept the same theme and it did really well in the remake. So I think also the growth of the hobby in general has helped have more market for these unique themes. And then so as these unique themes do well, then the publishers see that they're doing well, so they can take more risks and stuff. So that's cool. Truthfully... I hadn't put this in our notes, but I think Kickstarter is also probably yeah. a big cause of this because, you know, when a board game 
publisher does not go through something like Kickstarter. They just publish a game traditionally. You've got to spend mm-hmm. all the money up front to get the games made, and then yeah. you've, you take the risk of, if the game flops... Uh, potentially losing out on the money. Whereas the, you know, the economy that Kickstarter creates around a game when you can get a good portion of that money up front and you can gauge what the interest level is in a particular game, it makes it easier to publish these games with unique themes. I think our friends over at Board Game Brothers is a great example Mm -hmm. of this as well. Like uh, five, ten years ago, games like Rap Gods and Hoop Gods I, if, if you had tried to go to a traditional publisher with those ideas, I think most publishers would have said, no, we're not interested. Mm-hmm. That's too much of a risk. Whether that's the correct decision or not is a debate for another day, and I don't think it is. But, uh, like, you know, like, now you can just be like, no, well, I'm taking this game to Kickstarter, and the board game mm-hmm. community can say, yes, this is a thing that we want to see in our hobby. Thank you for making yeah. it. Give me a copy, please. <laughs> Yeah, Kickstarter has been very good for that. <laughs> it really has. It's it's changed the landscape of board games mm-hmm. in some really dramatic ways. And I think yeah. a lot of people like to hate on Kickstarter for certain reasons, you know, stretch goals and large companies using Kickstarter. But like, for me, as a person who works in marketing for a living, not for a board game company, it seems like a really smart thing for companies to do, not just mm-hmm. to get the money up front, but that gauging of interest, like seeing yeah. how many people want a particular game. Mm-hmm. You know, if if Jamie uh, Stegmeier from Stonemeyer ever <laughs> decided to use Kickstarter, then we wouldn't have the issue that we had when Wingspan released, where we never had enough copies for everybody because... <laughs> So yeah. there's there's a lot of reasons why Kickstarter has done good stuff in this regard. And also it's allowed more people to design and publish games. Like I, I, what I was saying before about like indie publishers, there's more of those self-publishers in Japan, but like Kickstarter is allowing more of those to be everywhere. And so more people designing games means more unique themes from more different perspectives and stuff. So yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Absolutely. I I don't want to just see games from the same publishers over and over Mm -hmm. again, or the same designers over and over again. I want to see new stuff. I want to see innovative stuff. I want to see the cool things that are in these people's brains that, you know, we we haven't even discovered yet. The the well of what board games could be has only been tapped just a Mm -hmm. tiny bit, I think. And there's going to be a lot more really neat stuff coming in the future. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to see what the future brings and um, I'm also excited that the game that I mentioned earlier, Shablam, is coming to Kickstarter because <laughs> I want a drag lip sync battle game. And thank you, Aaron Vanderbeek, for making sure that that's going to happen because it's awesome. And Ambi, if you want to play it, I am going to get access to the Tabletop Simulator mod so I can teach it to you soon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's super fun. <laughs> Yay. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Grey Fox Games. If you've heard the hype and can't resist, the second printing of After the Empire is now available on GameFound. Order your copy today. Grey Fox Games, quality games cleverly crafted. Join the Blitzketeer community on Discord by following the link in the show notes. You can support the show by leaving us a rating and review on your podcast provider. And if you want behind-the-scenes access and an invite to our private Slack channel, visit patreon.com slash BoardGameBlitz. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mount. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, when I see your box, I see a theme that I know rocks. 
Cause you're amazing Just the way you are Bye everyone Bye And I can't think of any of them No <laughs> It's hard for me to think of things off the top of my head But um Is a too much theme I mean not too much Like what is it called like Excited to see the future of board <laughs> Lana just hacked <laughs>